Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's guest is Dr. Christy Funk. She's been on the show before, and we are so happy to have her back, and she is going to be talking about how to eat to beat breast cancer. Please welcome Dr. Christy Funk. So nice to see you again. Oh, AJ, it's so great to be here. I love your show, and I love your audience. Hi, everybody. So and today, as <laughs> Chef AJ said, we're going to talk about how to eat to beat breast cancer. And there's so much to talk about. I'm never going to get to all of it. That's why I wrote a book. But um, we're going to start. I prepared a little PowerPoint. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and start chatting. So here we go. Quickly, we're just going to do a little, little pop quiz. You and all of your loved ones are most likely to die from this disease. What is it? Oh, I know you're all super smart and you knew that answer. So heart disease, yes. Over um, about 300,000 women will die from heart disease this year as opposed to 43,000 from breast cancer. So in other words, you are seven times more likely to die from heart disease than you are breast cancer and you're 26 times more likely to have cardiovascular disease than you are to get breast cancer. That is not to minimize the deadly consequences of breast and, and potentially all cancers. Behind skin, breast is the number one cancer that occurs in women. And it's to the tune of about 280,000 women predicted to get it in 2021. So I will say as a caveat that the delay in diagnosis from COVID fear and not screening has computer models predicting an additional 10,000 deaths from breast cancer in the upcoming year. So ladies, if you're due or overdue, please get screened. Just put on a mask, wash your hands and you will be fine. It's more important to get screened uh, than it is to stay clear of what is really not a crowd in these doctor's offices. We've figured out how to do the screening safely. All right, so let's talk just very briefly about a few of the biggest risk factors for getting breast cancer that you can do nothing about. So I don't say that to freak you out, but to incentivize you to understand reality and then also hopefully to then embrace the things you can change with, um, with all you got. So the three things you can't change that are your highest risk factors for breast cancer are being female. And let's face it, who would want to do anything about that? But you might know this stat, one in blank women will get breast cancer in her lifetime, one in eight. Okay, so that is a far cry from men, which is 1.3 out of 100,000 men in their lifetimes. Ah, some of you are just like, what, men get breast cancer? Indeed they do, about 2,600 men will get breast cancer this year and 500 will die. They have a little bit of breast tissue because we all started out in utero as the greater sex. Huh? At the sixth week in utero, testosterone popped out and then ruined everything. <laughs> Just kidding, men. But the point is, at the sixth week in utero, the breast bud and nipples had already developed. So that's why men can and do get breast cancer. And that's why they have nipples that just stick around and out after being born. Okay, next risk factor is getting older, age. The one in eight stat does not apply to you every single day of your life since the moment of, say, puberty. If that were true, we'd all have it, you know, by the holidays. So in fact, it increases as you age. The highest risk decade of life in which to get breast cancer is your 70s, between 70 and 80. The median age, half at or above, half below, 
in America is 62. 95% of all breast cancer happens after the age of 40. And finally, we've got family history. Why do doctors care so much about family history? Well, just as a um, little like word to the wise, you are half your dad's DNA. I often hear, oh, well, there's breast cancer, but it's all on my dad's side. And I get it. There's this idea like dad, not breasts, like breasts are tied to maternal mom, female, but the truth is you're half your dad's DNA. So that side of the family tree matters equally as much as mom's side. And if there's a strong family history of breast and maybe ovarian, pancreatic, and a few other cancers, our red flags go up as doctors as potentially having an inherited gene mutation. So let's explore that for just a split second fact. Only five to 10% of all breast cancer can be attributed to an inherited genetic mutation. Hmm, okay. And following logically from that is another fact. 87% of all women with breast cancer don't have a single first degree relative with breast cancer. Wow. So I am absolutely not minimizing that a genetic mutation such as BRCA or CHECK2 or PALB2 can and does destroy families with illness and premature death. These are important gene mutations to know if you have, so you can do something more aggressive or assertive with extra screening or maybe even prophylactic surgery. So I'm not minimizing that five to 10% is really coming from this gene mutation. And maybe 5% on the other end is like, wow, that's just weird. Like she's so young. She hasn't even lived long enough, badly enough for genetic mutations to pile up. Like how does she have breast cancer without BRCA or something like that? So on these extremes, we've got a gene mutation and inexplicable, but really the bulk middle as evidenced by 87% of people not having a family history is coming from our choices. Hmm. So what is it about our choices that are contributing to the vast majority? We're talking 90 plus percent of all breast cancers. Well, one way to kind of investigate this is to look at Japanese immigrants in Los Angeles and Hawaii after 1982, and then the Chinese in Hawaii after 1992. And what we see is that they developed breast cancer rates, literally get this number, 100% higher than their relatives back in the homeland. And they found that the rapidity with which they got breast cancer had to do with the subsequent generations embracing our dietary and lifestyle habits. And the further along you got, like by generation three, it was more than 100% increase. But let's look at what was happening back in the homeland to their relatives. Between 1990 and 2000, the mortality rate from breast cancer shot up in Japan by 55%. And in that same decade in the US, it dropped by 15%. Hmm, what was happening? Well, I'm gonna tell you, cancer never happens as like an inciting event, like just boom, I got hit by some carcinogen and yesterday I didn't have breast cancer, today I do and it's detectable. No, it has to turn away. It has a long time that it requires to get the nutrients it's ne it needs and the growth, um, the growth nutrients that it must have in order to what we call uh, promote itself. So you get proliferation and growth and finally potentially invasion and metastases and that story of a cancer cell going from one cell to a wad, by the way, a sugar cube, a one centimeter cube of cancer has, how many cells would you think? 
a billion. So to go from one cell to two cell to four to eight and so on and so forth usually means that the moment of detection can be tracked back by a division rate back three months, back three months. Most cells divide when they are in a phase of division every three to six months. You do that math backwards and you're looking at a solid five, if not 10 plus years ago that that cancer cell first came into your body's existence. So now again, I'm looking at mortality changes in this decade, we've got to go back to the 70s and 80s and say, what was happening then that incited cellular change that led to boom, the skyrocketing death rate from breast cancer? And what we see is that beginning in the 70s, in more affluent areas of Japan, Singapore, and urban areas of China, you see that we've sparked westernized changes into their lifestyle. Asians started chasing our culture, and as a result, they caught our cancer. So let's talk a little bit about this American style. What, what exactly am I talking about? Instead of laboring in the fields all day in the little home farm or, or tending to children and, and actually having children and breastfeeding them and making fresh meals, women starting in the 70s here and around the globe started entering the workforce in droves, leading sedentary and stressful lives, um, you know, expanding their waistlines, delaying childbearing until later years, if at all, not breastfeeding, eating leftover pizza for lunch and all the fast food that had come into our Asian sisters' lives. And then they sent off that email stat and head out the door just in time to grab takeout and plop down on the table with the food and then sit down on the couch with a glass of wine to watch your favorite Netflix binge, right? Sound familiar? So as that's happening to our Asian sisters and to ourselves, the cancer is skyrocketing. So what we look at when it comes to that middle of our bell curve, right? Not genetic predisposition, which can be exacerbated by lifestyle choices, by the way, or just inexplicable kind of fate, bad luck. Very, very small percent there. You're looking at this big controllable basket of diet and nutrition, alcohol, exercise, obesity, hormone replacement therapy, environmental toxicities with all those endocrine disrupting compounds, EDCs, and emotional stress, which brings a landslide of neurotransmitter change that heightens your um, inflammation and decreases your immune system function. Chef AJ and I talked, if you wanna check back at our last um, time when we were together, we talked a bunch about alcohol, exercise, and obesity. We touched upon stress. And today I really want to do a deep dive into diet and nutrition. So um, head back to the other podcast if you want to hear about how those are major contributors. But right now, of all of these things that is in the changeable, controllable bucket of risk factors, there's one thing you do that I believe is more important than any other. And you probably do it three, four, five, six times a day. You eat, right? The key to using food to protect yourself from breast cancer is to understand that every single time you lift fork to mouth, depending on what's on the end of that fork, you are unleashing weapons of either protection or destruction inside your bloodstream that go through your veins, saturating every cell, like a little cell sits in a bathtub. And that tub of nutrients is either screaming out anti-cancer or pro-cancer, depending on what it is that you're chewing and swallowing. So what food can alter inside of you for better, for health, or for worse, for cancer, 
heart disease, stroke, diabetes, obesity, dementia, Alzheimer's, for better or worse, you are altering estrogen levels. 80% of all breast cancer is fed and fueled by estrogen. So this will become a common theme as I talk about food and how it affects estrogen levels. Growth factors, the big daddy of them all that screams at every cell to grow, grow, grow is IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor. We're gonna hone in on that bad boy in a minute. Blood vessel formation, angio, blood vessel, genesis, the birth. It is the birth of new blood vessels that every single cancer in your body requires if it plans to grow beyond the size of the tip of a ballpoint pen. Angiogenesis, requirement. Inflammation, immune system function, and free radical formation. So again, every time you're eating, you are either putting plant-based chemicals or animal-based chemicals and chemical reactions to that animal protein and animal fat into your bloodstream that either stokes and fuels cancer or seeks out and destroys it and everything it needs to propagate and thrive. Okay, I want you to understand this battleground inside our bodies called oxidative stress. This isn't gonna become a crazy biochem lesson, but it's a basic, it's the bottom line basics of what is happening every time you eat. And more than eat, a lot of the, all the other things that I was mentioning in that list that we're not going to talk about today, like exercise or the lack thereof, obesity or being an ideal body weight, um, taking hormone replacement therapy or not, all of this goes into this battlefield of oxidative stress. But right now let's focus again on food. Free radicals are wild molecules. They're missing an electron and they'll do everything they need to do to, to get it. And they steal it from the guy next door and then he's all like and goes crazy. And so when this cascade of free radical formation is happening, you end up with cellular damage. Actually, ironically, super useful in appropriate doses because without free radicals, you wouldn't breathe. Without free radicals, you wouldn't be able to combat infection when it happens. And irony upon irony, uh, free radicals actually help kill the cancer cells that they caused in the first place. So we're grateful for the right amount of free radicals, but in excess, when they're running around doing their damage, whatever cells they hit the most, they damage the most, becomes your silent killer. So if it's arterial blood vessels, you're looking at heart disease. It, if it's smaller vessels, you're looking at erectile dysfunction. Probably not that if you're a woman or you've been looking at it, right? Um, and the small blood vessels that are headed into your brain. So we're talking about Alzheimer's and other dementias. Even if it's hitting your gut enough, you start getting inflammatory bowel disease, fibromyalgia, if it's just affecting all your muscles. And if that free radical damage is affecting breast cells, mm, here comes a breast cancer. So what a what can balance out Oxidants, oxidants, free radicals. I was giving you a clue. Antioxidants, all right, give me a jar of those. Well, they don't come in jars. They come in one and only one form and that is called plants, all right? So you've got free radicals, oxidants causing damage in excess, counterbalanced and quelled by antioxidants. I'm gonna tell you a story that will change your eating forever if it's not already this way that you eat, okay? So a study looked at a bunch of people with hyperlipidemia, right? They've got 
too much um, cholesterol and triglycerides. And we're gonna look at what happens to their oxidative stress when they eat a meal. And they're gonna do that in this study by measuring oxidized LDL cholesterol. Okay, so here we go. Time zero, these people get a sad breakfast. We're talking pancakes and bacon, steak and eggs, right? Your typical standard American diet for breakfast. And we track cholesterol hourly. And here we go, up, 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 180 minutes later, three hours later, oh, time for lunch, hamburger and fries, LDL up, 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 time for dinner, chicken and maybe a vegetable. And up, up it goes. These people literally are going to bed with fewer antioxidants than when they woke up. Here's the miracle. Same people, next day, same sad meal and one tiny change a cup of strawberries hmm pancakes and bacon look at this with the cup of strawberries ldl goes down down below baseline and now it's lunchtime hamburger and fries they eat with a cup of strawberries and uh, <laughs> that the hamburger's really doing them in, they're going back to baseline, but the strawberries, look what they're doing by dinner. You've hardly budged your oxidative stress. The power, the antioxidant power, and just a mere cup of strawberries is so able to squelch the inflammation from that meal that it makes you have to wonder what if, what if the meal itself had been steel cut oats and berries with some soy milk in it, a little flaxseed and cinnamon on top? What if, what if what was in that meal was just chock full of phytonutrients, plant-based nutrients, this plant warfare, what would be in your veins absorbed into your blood, that oxidative stress, which even a plant-based meal causes in small part, would be over like in a half an hour. And now instead of wrestling that bacon for the next two hours, guess what these phytonutrients get to do, like the turmeric, oh, sorry, the curcumin in turmeric, the epi gallocatechin gala, EGCG in green tea, the resveratrol in the skin of red grapes and in red wine, the omega-3 fatty acids in your flax seeds and avocado, procyanidins in berries, genistein in soy, lycopene in tomatoes, anthocyanidins in apples, limonene in oranges. I say all this to show you that there really are chemical structures in these foods and they are largely in the color, which is interesting. If you think about it, except for maybe an overabundance of beets that makes you pee red and make you think you might have colon cancer when you poop, um, you really don't pee blue when you eat an entire bag of blueberries, right? The color is where the phytonutrients are and it gets completely absorbed and used by your body. So if that meal had been chock full of phytonutrients instead of fighting bacon, like I was saying, it could be fighting atherosclerotic plaque it could be slowing down the growth of any cancer cell in your body by neutralizing it, by causing it to kill itself, by taking away its blood vessel supply. Your body has, is so forgiving. Literally, these phytonutrients can go into your bloodstream and start forgiving you of your culinary sins. So if you really want to defeat cancer, I want you to eat like you mean it. Now I promised I'd hone in on IGF-1 because I think this is a really important molecule for you to understand. It is, as I mentioned, the big daddy growth factor that flies around inside your body. And just like free radicals, 
thanks. I'm super happy I have some IGF-1. First of all, when I was a kid, I never would have grown into an adult, right? It's the big growth promoter. Grow, grow, grow. That's what it's screaming at everything. Do you know that you turn over 50 billion cells a day? I was going to say million, and that's quite an underestimation. 50 billion cells get turned over every single day. So they need replacing. Thanks, IGF-1. Your post-exercise muscles need repairing. Thanks, IGF-1. Your neurons in your brain need protecting. Thank you, IGF-1. Your brain's super smart though. It tells your liver how much to make for today's daily job. And we make some binding proteins as well. The BPs kind of are like body snatchers that retire IGF-1 from circulation because your job's done. Okay, go away now. But what happens if you have an excess? Well, first of all, you only make an excess in response to consuming animal protein and animal fat. So now you have one of those bacon slices for breakfast or the hamburger for lunch or the chicken for dinner or the eggs or the dairy and up goes IGF-1. Now that's more than you needed for the day's job. What's that IGF-1 gonna do? It's gonna scream at things to grow. Grow atherosclerotic plaque, grow fat, grow cancer cell, grow in that breast, grow into the blood vessels, grow into the lung, the liver, the brain, the bone. Whew, somebody better slow that IGF-1 down, right? It turns out that you are that someone. Check this study out. They looked at over 6,000 adults over the age of 50, followed them for 18 years. And what they found is that those ages 50 to 65 years old who consume the highest versus lowest amounts of animal protein, catch that highest versus lowest amounts of animal protein. This isn't protein consumption from animals versus a vegan. Okay, so just eating more meat rather than less meat led to a 430% increase in cancer deaths in this group and a 7,300%, 7,300% increase in diabetes, type two diabetes. What they found when they did the sub-analysis is that wherever IGF-1 went, the cancer death and the diabetes was sure to follow just like Mary and her little lamb right? So IGF-1 turned out to be the major culprit in this story. Now, notably, no such elevations in risk happened when the proteins came from plants. All right. So just as further evidence of the implication of IGF-1 in the, in the villainous plot against your arteries and your breasts, um, there are people in, largely in Ecuador that have something called Laron syndrome. They can't process IGF-1. They don't have receptors. So as you can see, they're notably short statured, they have medical dwarfism because they don't grow. But guess what? Every single person on planet earth who has ever had Laron syndrome has never had breast cancer. In fact, any type of cancer ever, except one woman in 2017 was reported to have ovarian cancer, but still that is remarkable. I mean, jaw dropping, no cancer, ever. And guess what else? Nobody in the history of the world with Laron syndrome has ever had type two diabetes. That is how imperative it is that excess IGF-1 be on the scene in order to cause cancer, cancer death and diabetes and all of the horrible complications that can come from out of control type two diabetes. Here is the best news of the day. If you remember anything I talk about today, well, if you remember anything, come to my summit because I'm super excited about it. But second in line, um, it's this. When I'm talking to a woman who's newly diagnosed with breast cancer, say she's like 64 years old, on the chunky side, 
And here she is with a stage two cancer. We're looking at chemo and on and on it goes. And she's pretty down about it. And she's like, doc, I hear what you're saying. You're all excited about your food thing, but listen, it's too late for me. Right. I mean, it's been 64 years of this. And I say, Oh no, sister, let me tell you a study. And now I'm going to tell you sisters and a few good men, I'm sure out there uh, about this study. Cause it's, it's one of my, I, I say this about every study cause they're all my favorites because they just uh, get me so excited that we're on the right path when we're talking about hopefully plant-based eating. But this is a pretty good one. All right, so we take 50 obese women. We, I had nothing to do with it. Okay, we take 50 obese women and we draw their blood and we check IGF-1 levels and we check IGF-1 binding protein. You now are experts in what those things are. And they take their blood, they drip it on a Petri dish laden with fresh human breast cancer cells. A few cells die because everybody alive has a functional immune system to a certain degree. So off they go. And they do this. They follow the Pritikin plan, a low fat, high fiber, whole food plant-based diet with daily exercise classes that I'm not kidding you are 30 minutes long. And we're talking for some of these people, it's like sauntering, that's exercise. Okay. And they go away for 12 mm, years, months weeks, no, days. They come back 12 days later. They draw the blood. IGF-1 plummeted. Binding protein skyrocketed, like the sound effects. And the best part of all, they take their new blood, drip it on a fresh Petri dish of breast cancer cells, and 90% of the cancer cells died on the spot in less than two weeks. These people turn their blood into a cancer kicking machine. And so can you, it is never too late to change your diet and your lifestyle and to reap the benefits from doing so. Okay, doc, you've kind of sort of convinced me, but I need protein. How am I gonna get protein? I wanna remind you something the elephant, the rhino, the hippo, and all the meats you probably eat in order to get your sacred protein, like cows and pigs and chicken and deer and elk if you're a hunter, um, they're all herbivores and they grow mighty big and strong with tons of muscle. So you can get your protein from where they get their protein, plants. The most jam-packed protein is seitan, not good for your uh, celiacs out there, of which they're only 2% actually allergic to wheat gluten, but 21 grams of protein from your third cup. Soy, again, head back to our last time together with Chef AJ because we deep did a deep dive into the soy myth and busted that wide open. I am a wild proponent of organic non-GMO soy consumption, at least two to three servings a day you'll get a ton of protein from that and you'll get a ton of anti-cancer um, uh, phytonutrients, specifically the genistein uh, is going to be, ah, I almost got into it again. Just go watch the other video or we can talk about it later. You ask me in the questions and I will bring up, I got slides for it. I'm going to prove to you that studies have proven that it decreases breast cancer, occurrence, recurrence, and death, even if you are on tamoxifen and have an estrogen driven breast cancer or had, because hopefully it's out by now. All right. More protein, lentils, beans, nuts or nut butters, seeds and seed butters, green peas, quinoa, wild rice, dill cut oats. You can get your protein and then some from plants. Okay, this is out of my book, this little page. This is my personal 
plate what I think is the healthiest way to eat tons of fruits and vegetables, making up 70% of your plates, and then only whole grains and healthy proteins that we just went through the list for the rest. Of your beverages, water is going to be key, but then we're going to talk about a couple other, but uh, one other beverage that I think is uh, deserving of special mention. These are my 10 breast superfoods. And I'll go down the list. We're going to actually, I'm going to demo this with my Dr. Funk's antioxidant smoothie. This thing is like famous on the internet. People love it. And I think you will too, if you've never seen it or tasted it, um, you're in for a treat because this smoothie, I do believe I've been perfecting the ingredients for over 12 years now. Every time I read a study about something powerful that has tremendous anti-cancer uh, properties, boop, into the smoothie it goes. And it has such a delicious base that you could throw in like, I don't know, like you could throw in manure and you wouldn't even taste it because the base is so delicious. So you can put in every powerful ingredient and drink down this phytonutrient bomb as we do pretty much every morning in this house. Okay, so 10 breast superfoods, cruciferous vegetables, your leafy greens, right? Cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, um, arugula, and of course, broccoli, I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. Dietary fibers, berries, apples, tomatoes, mushrooms, the whole allium family, garlic, onions, leeks, shallots, chives, and scallions, turmeric and other spices, seaweed and cacao, 70% or greater, um, cacao chocolates. I have this list here, it's in my book. So if you really wanna dive into the hows and whys, those are so powerful against breast cancer specifically, um, I wrote it all down for you. I wanna hone in on just a couple of those on the list and then we're gonna head on over to make the smoothie because I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to show you um, the smoothie. Okay, broccoli. There's something um, about the superhero broccoli that you may or may not know. And that is a secret phytochemical weapon called sulforaphane. But here's the, the, the rub. If you love roasted broccoli more than any other vegetable on earth, as do I, you are destroying the enzyme called myrosinase that converts the isothiocyanate inside the broccoli into other cruciferous vegetables into the superhero component sulforaphane. So the key is you just can still love yourself some roasted broccoli, but you always need to add back some chopped up raw or lightly steamed broccoli where the enzyme is still intact and you can make full use of all the isothiocyanates that are in your big cup of broccoli that you're eating. Mustard seed also has it. So you can just do a pinch of mustard powder or some whole grain mustard itself and you will get that myrosinase back. Now, a hundred times the sulforaphane content of broccoli is found in broccoli sprouts. So much so that, uh, okay, so what, what is it about sulforaphane? I failed to tell you. Um, they are masterful molecules at seeking out and destroying cancer cells. It, bar none, sulforaphane has such redemptive qualities in terms of all of the badness inside your body that I make sure to always, always have at least a half cup of raw broccoli every day, usually with some hummus. So broccoli sprouts, let me tell you this little study story. Granted, science can be cruel. Um, so I'm not advocating that we always are using these mice to prove a point. But in this study, we were looking, we, again, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, we, the scientific community interested in broccoli, um, grafted breast cancer onto mice, but not just any breast cancer 
stem cells, breast cancer stem cells. When I was in medical school, we were taught that stem cells, um, you had a finite number and you use them and then you lose them. But in point of fact, you can actually multiply your stem cells. And the most effective way to do that is fasting, subject for another day. But when you think about stem cells, what do you know about them? If nothing, let me tell you, they have the potential to be anything you need them to be inside your body. So say boop, UV ray nukes this skin cell and your immune system is like, oh, that one's going bad. It's going wrong. It's going rogue. It's going melanoma on us. So it takes it before it has a chance to do anything bad and replaces it with a perfect skin cell coming from a stem cell. So it has the potential to be anything your body needs it to be. It can therefore migrate, colonize, proliferate, self-renew, it's like immortal. But what if it's overtaken by evil? What if the cancer overtakes the stem cell? Now you have like the root, like the real heart of this cancer and it's immortal. How are you gonna kill something immortal? Broccoli sprouts, watch this. So they grafted mice with both estrogen driven which is 80% of breast cancers and estrogen negative breast cancers. And I emphasize that because our estrogen negatives are our most aggressive subtypes of breast cancer, hardest to cure. They graft these mice and they feed them the equivalent of sulforaphane found in one and a quarter cups of broccoli sprouts. Now, granted, that's quite a fistful, but it's also like you could eat it. Like if I had breast cancer in my body right now, I'd be full on you know, growing sprouts all throughout my house and eating two fistfuls a day because it's, it is something you can definitely eat in a day, right? So one and a quarter and they watch these tumors over time, over three weeks of time, get smaller, 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 gone. That's wow. the power of sulforaphane. Wow is right. I mean, this is, it is such a superfood that I needed to make it boop, stand out and have its own little spotlight in our talk today. And I also wanted to highlight that you need to eat like the raw broccoli sprouts or the raw or lightly steamed broccoli or always add the raw or lightly steamed broccoli to your cooked broccoli because I don't want you to miss out on the broccoli superpower. The other superpower that is sorely lacking from 97% of all Americans diets is fiber. A mere 30 grams, and I say mere because wait till you see how easy it is to pack your body full of 30 grams of fiber. A mere 30 grams will decrease breast cancer by up to 50%. And what is fiber doing? Well, it is um, trapping excess estrogen and making you poop it out. Okay, good. It is also um, releasing a whole litany of, of antioxidants and vitamins, anti-cancer compounds, uh, such as lignans, which we're gonna talk about when we talk about my smoothie, isoflavones coming from soy, also in the smoothie, um, and phytates, which can get a bad rep, but actually um, are anti-cancer compounds. And in your gut, fiber is your microbiome's just favorite prebiotic ever. It munches on that and then releases all of this anti-cancer goodness into your bloodstream. One study looked at precancerous changes in breasts and correlated the frequency of bowel movements to the development of breast cancer. And those women who pooped two or fewer times a week versus those who pooped one or more times a day, the, the low, infrequent poopers had four times the breast cancer. 
Some of that may be because of the slow transit time of all of the grossness and poop. It allows your body to reabsorb more toxins than it needs. And of all the things it's absorbing, bile salts can contribute to breast cancer. And in fact, in women newly diagnosed with breast cancer, they are found to have 50% higher bile salts circulating in their blood than women of the same age without breast cancer. So fiber is magical. Okay. We're gonna end with one more pop quiz. What is the most common beverage enjoyed by people who are centenarians over 100 years old? Water, tea, red wine, or gin and tonic? Yeah, it's like you're thinking about your cantankerous grandmother who lived at like 102 and smoked like a chimney and drank gin and tonics. Nope, she didn't have it right. It's green tea. All right, so the tea, especially the EGCG in green tea, uh, the highest content of which is found in matcha green tea, inhibits cell damaging free radicals and sends these polyphenols into your bloodstream so much so that three cups a day drops breast cancer in half. But what if you already have breast cancer? Should you down the tea? Oh yeah, sister, listen to this. Over 1100 cancers followed um, uh, up to, it was eight years, three cups of green tea per day. Three cups of green tea, by the way, is like a third of a cup, actually. It's 87.5 mils. Um, three cups of green tea. Stage one breast cancer, down 57% in terms of recurrence. For stage two breast cancers, 31% less recurrence. And pro tip, a squeeze of lemon bumps the antioxidant absorption potential fivefold. So always whoop, squeeze a little lemon in that tea. Personally, I don't like green tea. I've kind of developed a taste for it. I've been saying I don't like it for like 20 years, but I usually just plug my nose and chug it down. I do three cups a day. But if I don't do that, I always put it in my smoothie. So there you go. We're going to talk about the smoothie. So it's in the show notes. It's here, pinklotus.com slash smoothie. This recipe is off the charts. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. It's just that so many people have asked, is it okay if it's decaffeinated green tea? Does it have, is it the caffeine that's the, that is important? So de um, yes and no. Decaf green tea is packed with EGCG, but one third the amount of caffeinated. So who cares? If you don't want the caffeine, definitely go for the decaf version. You're getting a ton of polyphenols and the EGCG power, just one third the amount of caffeinated. So go for it. No reason uh, not to not to do it. So we're going to talk about the smoothie in just a second. A few just little announcements. If you want to learn more, I have an entire two-day summit coming up at Terranea in October of this year. It's really every year. So in the interest of evergreen, if it happens to be four or five years from now that you're watching this, there's a summit coming up at Terranea, this gorgeous oceanfront resort. That is a picture of it. And we also have the virtual summit coming up in April that everyone can can join and I'm so excited about it. We are really, uh, we've worked to create a program that is so transformative. It really just jumps into the soil of your life and transforms the way you think and eat and move and feel and relate to yourself and to others in this world to just create the most fruitful, bountiful existence possible. And I can't wait to share all my secrets with you. The other little FYI is this is totally free to everybody listening, sign up, to Pink Lotus Power Up. This is a community where you can get 
breaking breast news. We've got an educational section with resources and blogs and cancer kicking. Um, this section here, in addition to my summit, has a podcast. I've got a rest, my cancer kicking kitchen with recipes and way more coming soon there. Um, cancer thrivers and survivors, I want all of you in Breast Buddies. Again, totally free. It's a matchmaker system so that those who have been there done that, which could be you signing up, We'll get paired age for age, stage for stage, treatment for treatment, like mastectomy, chemo, radiation, with someone newly diagnosed. And it's solely in existence for you to connect with other sisters for the purposes of psychosocial support and friendship and love and encouragement, which is lacking in so many people's lives. So explore all of Power Up. There's so much there. It's all interactive. You, you join with you know, your name and a picture and you can post and you can chat and you can comment and you can list needs, financial needs and crowd cause, um, needs for things like wigs and bras and breast list. So explore it. It's, it's just so robust. There's over 35,000 members and I, and I would love to see you there. So join our free community. And finally online, we've got Pink Lotus Elements. This is the brainchild of over two decades now of seeing and hearing about a lack, a lack of support of in, in vetted, tried and true, randomized control trial proven products that work to address women's needs before, during and after a breast cancer diagnosis. So powerful things for risk reduction and also for symptom management. Menopause Miracle is bar none, the safest and most effective relief for basically every menopause symptom, hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, mood swings, uh, vaginal dryness, you name it, and Menopause Miracle can address it in the majority of women. Um, so have a look around the store. There's a lot of fun um, products, but nothing kitschy like ribbon earrings. Nothing wrong with the pink ribbon or the earrings, but we are all about addressing needs of, of women um, on all levels of uh, from cellular function to just holding the girls up with a wonderful post-operative bra. Um, so check it out. And now I'd love to check out my smoothie. Are we, are we yeah, ready? Do you want to break for questions or what do you no, want to do? No, you know what? I, I, I want to respect your time. People did send questions in advance, but there's one that seems really, really important. Is it okay if I just ask this one? Because the Please person do, is also yeah. watching live um, because she says she's desperate to ask Dr. Funk if being on the pill into your 50s increases your chances of breast cancer. And if I did this to myself, I was diagnosed almost a month ago and 51 and stopped the pill because of the cancer. So... Here is where statistics can really become your friend because by and large, the stats will say that you did not do this by being on the pill. However, the pill having estrogen in it and taking it, I don't know when you started it, but taking it into your fifties is a long exposure of extra estrogen on top of what your ovary was already pumping out and what your fat cells can make. Although those sources of your own body's estrogen are suppressed by being on the pill. So you don't have like super physiologic levels for all of this time, but you're probably hearing correctly that 80% of breast cancers are fueled by estrogen. I'm guessing that yours is too, especially since you stopped it as you should. But here are the stats. If you're on birth control for 10 plus years, you elevate your breast cancer risk in most studies and over 55 studies kind of as a summary show about a 25% increase in breast cancer. Now that sounds like a ton, but you need to distill that down to the decade of life you're talking about. For example, when you're in your twenties, the chances of getting breast cancer in your twenties by age 30 are like one in 
1,544 women. So now that 25% increase becomes 1.25 in 1,544 women. When you're in your 50s, like you are, the chance of getting breast cancer between 50 and 60 years old is one in 42 women. So now it's 1.25 in 42 women. So yes, there is an incremental increase in risk having been on the pill, but it isn't necessarily the culprit, the sole culprit in your story. And at this point, it is what it is. I wouldn't regret having been on it. It probably saved you a world of cramps and other things. But the point is, um, it really isn't a major contributor. The boulders that really push us toward breast cancer or not are in addition to gene mutations, alcohol, exercise, or a lack thereof, being overweight and obese, and being a big consumer of animal protein and animal fat. Thank you very much. Sure. I'm glad that we could talk about that. Okay, so we're gonna do my smoothie and then we'll get to as many questions as you guys want. Um, all right, I'm just gonna set this little computer up. All right, so here we go, smoothie time. Um, let me just pull over some berries, okay? And we've got some greens and we've got my blender here. Okay, here we go. So we're gonna start with a cup and a half of soy milk or your favorite plant milk, but of course, there's only so much milk you're gonna put in your body, plant milk, in a given day. So again, head back to our last time or we can chat later about soy and all the benefits, but the isoflavones in soy have been proven over and over again. I have eight robust human studies showing without a doubt that consumption of soy in soy milk, tofu, edamame, soybeans, or the fermented types like tempeh, miso, natto, and um, tamari, all decrease breast cancer occurrence between 30 and 60%, prostate cancer too, my men, and they decrease recurrence and death from breast cancer, even estrogen driven, even estrogen negative, uh, between 30 and 60%, decreased recurrence and decreased death. So I always soy it up because again, I'm not really drinking a lot of plant-based milk, so I always make it soy. We don't really have any other. So I'm gonna put that in as our base. Whoop. And next we're gonna hit some of our powdered powerhouses. So the first is called Amla Boss. Amla Boss is a Pink Lotus Elements product. And the reason why I love this so much is it's not only super concentrated so that you only need an eighth of a teaspoon, but the extraction and processing technique is literally protected by eight different patents. It's like James Bond made this or something. Like it's crazy potent. And by the way, what is Amla? So a study looked at over 3,000 foods for its antioxidant content, or, uh, literally like everything from Coca-Cola to coconuts. And at the tippity top, 124 times the content of a blueberry was the Indian gooseberry, which where are you gonna get that? I mean, there are gooseberries, be careful. They're not Indian gooseberries and I haven't found them in my market, um, but you can find it here in powdered form. So Amla, just an eighth, an eighth of a teaspoon, We'll go in next. Amla Boss, you can get that at Elements. Now we also have our own organic source from Japan, matcha. So this is called ancient matcha and we're gonna use a teaspoon of this. What is so great? We talked a little bit about its power to uh, decrease breast cancer recurrence in those who are drinking three cups a day and occurrence. 
but what it's doing is it's sending polyphenols into, the, into your bloodstream that can seek out cancer cells and stop their production, their proliferation, and their metastatic potential. So matcha, one teaspoon a day, is going to keep cancer away or help to. Our final Pink Lotus product that has to do with the smoothie, and you can get all three things in a smoothie bundle for a discount, um, but aloe tonic. This is an incredible product to me because I have been putting aloe, aloe vera in my smoothies for a decade, but it wasn't until I found this particular processing technique that aloe tonic was birthed. So what's amazing, first of all, about aloe, you know it probably aloe vera as a gel that you put on a sunburn to help stop the burning and the blistering. And that has incredible anti-inflammation powers. What if you're able to drink it and then it got inside your cell. Talk about quelling inflammation. So what the magic inside this is, is um, mucopolysaccharides. So there's one anthraquinones that have been shown to downregulate estrogen receptors on breast cancer cells, number one. And then another is called ACE mannan. And ACE mannan is a real potent anti-inflammatory that gets inside those cells. And it revs up your immune system and it decreases inflammation at the same time. So a capful is one ounce. So I always, if I don't, on the days I don't have my smoothie, I still just down a capful or two. And I think if you have breast cancer, it's certainly um, going to be an important addition to what you're doing to, to battle it. So there you have aloe tonic. This, by the way, what's unique about the tonic, I failed to mention, is it processes the entire leaf. So you may know, and remember I mentioned peeing out the color and how you don't because you actually absorb it and most of the color is contained in skin. So you try to eat the skin of your foods, except like an orange or something, which you could throw in the blender and still make it taste good. But the point is the aloe vera plant skin contains a number of toxins and one in particular that makes you have wonderful amounts of diarrhea. So most aloe products, all aloe products out there exclude the skin, but you're missing out on a lot of the phytonutrient power. So this cold processing technique uses, um, uh, the technique allows them to process the entire leaf and without using heat or alcohols, which destroy important micronutrients as well as enzymes, right? Like we were talking about the myrosinase enzyme in the, creating the sulforaphane. There are enzymes in aloe vera that you don't want to destroy by the processing. So anyway, I love the tonic. All right, next in line, we're going to add an entire teaspoon of turmeric. Turmeric or a quarter inch of the fresh root. What's amazing about turmeric is it's free radical scavenging power, but it also induces apoptosis. I love saying that word. So that's cancer cell suicide. It's when a cell says, you know what? I, I think I've, I've lived long enough. It's time to go. And this accelerates that process. So turmeric, um, one teaspoon. Now it's been studied in Petri dishes filled with breast cancer. So I give that caveat, but head to head against curcumin. Many of you may know that curcumin is the active ingredient in turmeric. And so you'll probably see supplements. We definitely will see supplements that are like curcumin only, like just get the active part. When they go head to head, turmeric versus curcumin in a Petri dish, trying to kill cancer cells, turmeric wins every time. So there are other hidden powers that don't necessarily have a name yet in turmeric. So always go for the whole thing. And you want to potentiate its action by using piperine. Say what? Black pepper. Okay, so the piperine in black pepper by its own right 
has anti-breast cancer properties, um, but it potentiates the curcumin absorption 2000 fold. So the bioabsorption of your turmeric is basically nil unless you're having it with pepper or piperine. So we're gonna add that. The other thing about turmeric is that it's fat absorbable. So we need a good healthy fat in this smoothie and there's no healthier fat on planet earth. And I'm not lying when I say flax seeds. Chef AJ, you're nodding. Were you expecting flax as the answer? No, I, I, I wanted to ju jump out and say that because I heard you say that on the podcast. Okay, yeah. So flax seeds contain the highest, um, the most concentrated form of the healthy, uh, uh, unsaturated, monounsaturated omega-3 fatty acids. But guess what? That's not even why I love flax. So the fat and flax, thanks, you're going to help me absorb my turmeric and my curcumin. And because of the pepper, it's going to be flying through my veins. But the, here's the real kicker about flax, lignans. They have between 100 and 800 times the lignin content of any other plant food on the planet. And what do lignans do? They're anti-estrogens. They suppress estrogen. They suppress the growth of tumors. So much so, here's a really fun study. Um, dare I say, it's my favorite. No. So they took a bunch of breast cancer patients. They did their biopsy on their cancer cell and they measured the division rate of the cancer and they measured the apoptosis, which you know what that is now, the suicide rate, and the expression of something aggressive called CRB2. Everybody got a muffin. Vegan junk food, right? You get a muffin, you get a muffin, but this half gets a muffin that's filled with the equivalent of two tablespoons of ground flax seeds. One muffin a day, nothing else changed. We're talking about your typical slice of American pie, which could be overweight, diabetics, meat eating, hamburger for lunch, right? Nothing, I'm not just, we're just adding a muffin. And now we're having surgery five weeks later, five weeks later. And now we have a new tumor sample. What did the flax do? It decreased the division rate called KI67. How many cells are actually dividing right now? Drop that number by 32%. Increase the apoptosis cancer cell suicide by 34%. And dropped the CRB2 aggressive marker by 71% just from two tablespoons of ground flax seeds a day. So flax in the smoothie, it goes. Okay, and then we have a teaspoon of cinnamon. Cinnamon, you know, has tons of antioxidants, anti-inflammatory properties. And we're going to add, what's next, what's next? We're gonna add a date. So dates, um, this adds a nice little taste of, you know, sugar, but people don't realize it also, it has fiber. We talked about the virtues of fiber. People are worried about the sugar in dates. And there was an Israeli study that fed people like dates till they popped um, for an entire month. And then they measured blood sugar levels, didn't go up. And they uh, measured weight, didn't go up. So it didn't cause any weight gain. The sugar in there is, is completely um, a non-contributory factor. And when you realize that it's just so packed with phytonutrients and antioxidants, you definitely want to throw that date in there. All right, so now... My two faves of ingredients, I think I say that about every ingredient, berries though. So berries, um, berries are beautiful. So we've got all of these anthocyanidins, proanthocyanidins and ellagic acid, again, these chemicals that are coming from the berries that are fighting for you in such a powerful way. Berries are critical. Now you don't have to have all berries. I do two cups of berries, um, always organic, but that's pricey and I know that. I use a lot of frozen and guess what? 
Frozen is actually superior to fresh when it comes to packing a punch because the cell wall has been lysed already. So the polyphenols get released even more rapidly into your bloodstream when you eat frozen. But I'm telling you, whatever fruit you want to throw in here, apples and oranges, great. And when you do, I always use the core, the seeds, the parts that I wouldn't normally eat when I'm eating the fruit fresh. Um, and so for my strawberries, if you can see, I keep the tops on. Why not get the leafy green part? Okay, so I'm gonna throw all those in there. You can substitute whatever you want. Mangoes, peaches. Mix up your flavors, enjoy the smoothie. It doesn't always have to be berries, but of the entire fruit kingdom, berries, they're able to interfere with cancer cell signals. I mean, think about that. You've got a cancer cell and it's cross-talking with hundreds of other genes saying, hey, flip that switch. I need a little more inflammation, a little more interleukin one, please. You, C-reactive protein, put that up. Hey, you, blood vessel highway, please, angiogenesis. Berries are anti-angiogenic. They're anti-inflammatory. They interfere with cancer cell crosstalk and signaling to shut down the channels of communication, which effectively shuts down the cancer's ability to thrive and grow and spread. Gotta love your berries. All right, I was already waxed on and on about cruciferous veggies. So two massive fistfuls of greens, also can be frozen, um, but organic greens for sure. And last but not least, a banana. Bananas have rutin in them, again, an antioxidant and um, anti-inflammatory power. So the banana adds wonderful flavor, but also antioxidant power. And now we're going to put the lid on and blend this bad boy. You ready? All right, on. That's all it took, blending for that many seconds. And now I've got a gorgeous smoothie and I can put it right back into my glass and taste it for you, but just believe me, it's gonna be delicious. It really is. My kids love it. I feel like I work a lot, right? And so in the mornings, I started my day a little later so I can always wake up early, we exercise for an hour and then they're young boys. So they just sit down all smelly for school. Right now we're zooming into school, but pretty soon they're going to go to school and they'll still be smelly and won't care. But then I feed them breakfast and it's off in the smoothie. And um, I feel really good about myself going off into the day, knowing that they've started their day with this wonderful antioxidant laden powerhouse of a drink. Um, so cheers. I do recommend drinking smoothies through a silicone or metal straw because you don't want all the acids in there getting soaking your teeth and then do a quick water rinse. And if you're a, an overeater, ah, um, drink it slowly. Give yourself the 20 minutes it takes for your stomach receptors and all that to be like, hey, you've had enough calories for right now. Like you're good. Because if you down it, you may follow it with like a big bowl of oatmeal and then some, right? Because you don't know yet that you're full. So I always drink it slowly through a straw, non-plastic straw um, over 20 minutes. But that is my smoothie. Go out and try it. I can't wait for you to like, like message me, give me some feedback. I'm, I'm loving yeah, the smoothie. Okay. I have for a long hey, time. Deborah says, Chef AJ, this is probably in the top five of my favorite Chef AJ videos. And I've done 500 so far this year. So that's amazing. And it looks absolutely delicious and it's easy to make. It is easy. I mean, I waxed on and on and chatted. It's so fast. And especially if you get into the groove of it, like I do, I don't measure anything. Like I know what a tablespoon looks like and I'm just like, two minutes and done. 
Kimberly says, will the smoothie replace a meal? So you're kind of doing it for your breakfast, I would imagine. Yes, it's definitely a meal replacement. It, if you do it exactly as is here, it runs 390 calories. That's nothing. That's like a, that's like a, like a few tablespoons of olive oil. Oh, yeah, which we shouldn't be having. <laughs> exactly though. It's so funny how oil is just such a hidden, um, a hidden evil in our diets. Um, for sure, right? It's 120 calories of pure fat, no matter how you scoop it. And it's worse fat when you're talking about coconut oils and safflower and sunflower and all those, you know, terrible oils. But um, the main thing, you know, when I first became plant-based, I was like, seriously, how do you saute without oil? Like I, I thought my extra virgin olive oil was king and I'd read that it was in the Mediterranean diet and like three tablespoons a day, like some people were drinking it down for health reasons. And honestly, it took me it took me a minute to get into the right um, research to understand what it was. And the, the bottom line, besides it just being pure fat, and we all know the evils of just fat as making you fat, but it had more to do with the pro-inflammatory effects on blood vessels and the constriction of blood vessels and the buildup of atherosclerotic plaque. So much so that if you just take a blood pressure cough and you measure blood flow, and then you have someone have a tablespoon of oil, the blood, flow, the blood pressure will skyrocket and the blood vessels will constrict tightly within minutes of eating the oil. It's, it's really bad for your, for your blood vessels, which of course bring blood flow to every single cell in your body, most critically your heart and your brain. So minimize just, or eliminate the oil people. It's just, you know, I, I want to respect everybody's diet, but I have so many chefs that I'll have on the show and they'll do oil-free cooking demos, but they themselves use oil. And it's like, I, I, how do you let people know this without being judgmental of the fact that they're using a lot of oil in their diet? You know, just challenge yourself. I, okay, so we first went plant-based when I wrote my book and I was wide, widely, um, my mind was blown to the reality of the, the, the effects inside your body of eating animal protein, animal fat. My kids and I, I think I told you on the last time I was here, we literally, and Andy, my husband, all five of us in a moment, like boys, boys, come here, come here to the fridge. One day I just had it with all the research. was so convinced that this was the best way to eat. And I always wanted to be right. Um, you know, so when I wrote that book, I had every single fat backed in science. And so now I'm convinced that this is the way to eat. Fling open the refrigerator doors. I'm like, boys, we're going vegan. And they're like, yeah, what is vegan? Um, so but the, the thing about oil is I couldn't give that up right away. I didn't get it. I'm like, how do I saute and how do I make my roasted broccoli roasty yummy without oil? Just start trying. Try, um, everything for me is substituted in vegetable broth or if the meal calls for it, maybe some um, soy sauce, low sodium soy, which still has a lot of sodium, but, um, and water sometimes will do the trick. Like you don't realize that like when I'm making a, like a vegan tikka masala or something, I don't need to put the garlic and the onions in oil. They'll saute just fine. And I'll, I'll dare you to make one with oil and one without and see if you can taste which one had the oil. Like it goes away. You're just consuming fat for no benefit, like no taste benefit at all. Right, thank you. God, this was just a wonderful presentation. If you have time, I have a few questions, but if, if not, I completely understand. I'm all yours, AJ. Go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Well, and, and guys, I always give preference to the people that wrote in. So if you want priority, just email us or get on my mailing list. So Sid says, please ask Dr. Funk her thoughts on the safety and effectiveness of mammograms. Several credible doctors in the plant-based world do not recommend them. What are your thoughts about thermography as an alternative? 
this is, yeah. Okay. So there's no doubt that mammography in, uses radiation. And if you look at the studies, women who get mammograms every single year, as is recommended by many societies, um, and as I recommend, if you get it every year between 40 and 75 years old, if you take 10,000 women doing that, you will induce 8.6 breast cancers from the radiation exposure. However, in that exact same population and amount of time, you will have diagnosed 860 breast cancers. So in other words, mammography is finding 100 times the number of breast cancers that it causes. Now, that just tells me like, what is up? We can fly them into the moon. We can catapult through the air at 500 miles an hour, seated in upright position inside an airplane. Why can't we look inside a breast and know what is in it without inducing cell damage somehow? And, uh, you know, that's one for the powers that be in, in uh, technology. But I still think mammography is our gold standard. It's what our radiologists across the world know how to read and read well. Ultrasound is a real favorite because there's zero toxicity. It's sound waves. There's nothing going on. Um, so that is a good modality to look particularly in dense breasted women. But mammograms will find stage zero breast cancer, DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. And pretty much every ultrasound as a screener and even MRI, breast MRI will miss DCIS, our most curable, no chemo needed stage of breast cancer is largely identified as calcium flex only seen on a mammogram. MRI has gadolinium and an injection that was found in cadaver studies to pool in people's brains. What it does there, we don't know. It wasn't like a cadaver study on Alzheimer's or something, but it does um, potentially have ill effects in, in brain. So I don't like chronic annual gadolinium exposure. You asked about thermograms. I wish they worked. <laughs> I have chased down hundreds of swirls of heat. It sounds so, so like a sexy, great way to screen, but I have seen it fail more than I've seen it be successful at finding a cancer that everything else was going to miss. Particularly, which is interesting, because if you think about it, whenever I get a hot thermogram, I've got to chase it down with what? The things you wanted to avoid. You can't do a thermogram guided biopsy to find out what's what. So you need to chase it down with mammogram, ultrasound, and maybe breast MRI to make sure that it's something or nothing. A new modality like thermogram has to replace what's the existing standard by improving upon the detection rates, right? And I just find thermography to be, I chase fibrocystic changes and inflammation in the breast, which is very common, especially with hormonal fluctuations, as much as I'm chasing a cancer. And I've seen it miss cancers that are just taking up the whole breast. And it's like impossible to miss if you just examine the woman. Um, and yet thermography missed it. So I haven't had the best experience. I'm always willing to give it a shot. I come back to the science of it every couple of years to make sure I'm not missing anything, but I haven't found thermography to be a standalone good screener. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Chloe says, my mother had a small hard lump discovered by a mammogram a couple of weeks ago. She had the biopsy today and is waiting to hear the results from the doctor, but the doctor doing the biopsy told her it is a cyst with a hard shell, which is why they feared it was cancer, different to the soft cyst she has had in the past. She's hugely relieved at this time, but is wondering why she has this cyst and how to heal it naturally and prevent future cysts. Well, hopefully the final pathology on that will be just a benign cyst with cyst contents. There are cystic cancers. So you can have what's called an intracystic papillary cancer or an yeah, there can be an invasive component to it. So we gotta make sure that it's totally a benign cyst. Most cysts are estrogen driven. Um, 
and they are less frequent in menopausal and postmenopausal ladies, but not, they don't disappear. We all have estrogen levels that are coming from our fat cells. We're making estrogen from precursors like our adrenal gland, androstenedione, and testosterone. So one of the ways to decrease this formation is to amp up our anti-estrogenic eating and the most effective foods that are gonna do that for you. We've kind of glossed through today, but for sure, we're talking about the entire cruciferous vegetable family, like the indole three carbonyl makes you pee excess estrogen out. All that fiber is gonna make you poop excess estrogen out. Your flax seeds and the lignans are anti-estrogens and most potent of all is gonna be soy, that entire family. The button mushroom of all the mushrooms, they tested like the super expensive chanterelles and fancy portobello, mm -mm, cheapo white button, the size of your thumb on a daily basis inhibits aromatase, that fat enzyme that I'm talking about. Citrus fruits, another big anti-estrogen. So um, if you go to pinklotus.com, we talked about power up in the blog section, I've got a whole um, blog that talks about foods that decrease estrogen. Great. There are people like me that actually were born allergic to soy and there are a few people watching. Is there something that's almost as good that we can be consuming? Oh, flax for sure. If you wanted like bar none equal to equal, two tablespoons of ground flax seeds a day if you can't do any of the soy. That's nice. Sharon wants to know, what do you think of miso? Miso is a fermented soy. It's probably more digestible for most people than soy milk or tofu, which can cause some indigestion, bloating, and farting. So miso is absolutely a powerhouse of a food. Um, there's a question about the best time of the day to, to drink green tea because it causes this individual nausea on an empty stomach. Uh, does adding plant milk interfere with the absorption of ECGC? To my knowledge, plant milk doesn't interfere with absorption at all. So if it's causing some nausea when you just drink tea alone, for sure, have it with a meal or throw it in the smoothie and hopefully then the nausea will be abated by that. Great. And there's a question about something called sencha tea, if it has the same benefits of reducing risk as caffeinated green tea and matcha. I'm going, I don't know. I don't know what sencha green tea is, is it, if it's green tea and if it's decaffeinated based on the, how the question was worded, um, I do, it, it's absolutely worth drinking. There are so many polyphenols and antioxidants in teas, even herbal tea. It just lacks the absolute benefit that comes from EGC and that comes from caffeinated matcha. But I, I would have to research that. I don't know Sencha as a name. So, um, but just know that all teas are beneficial and I'd rather you have some tea than no tea if you can't tolerate caffeine. Great. Uh, the person is, 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 has typed in that it's like matcha. So that's nice. Okay. okay. Uh, Faith wants to know if the overall fat in the diet, even if it's from whole plant sources like nut seeds and avocado contributes to breast cancer risk. Oh, what a great question. So saturated fat, which is most prevalent in our animal meat sources, uh, be it chicken, turkey, fish, or the obvious red meat and processed meats, um, still exists in all of our plant foods, um, e even like untraceable amounts in, in certain vegetables. So you don't even think about having saturated fats, but the ones that clearly have a lot of saturated fat, like avocados and olives and nuts and seeds, um, you can get into an excess amount of saturated fat. And what we found from human studies on saturated fat and breast cancer risk is that it's, it really mostly implicates the animal kingdom, but you've of saturated fats, but there is going to be a threshold. If you're having, I would say more than 20% of your calories from saturated fat, 
it, it's an excess such that you're going to increase inflammation. And as it relates to breast cancer specifically, we found that the highest versus lowest saturated and trans fat consumers, trans fats, 71% increase in breast cancer and an increase in mortality. The saturated fat, high versus low consumers, between 40 and 57% increase in breast cancer incidence and then an elevated mortality. So we've correlated saturated fat to breast cancer incidence and death, but it really does have to be higher amounts. I would never shy away from throwing avocado and olives on a salad if that's like the main meal of the day, I'm having some saturated fat. Great, thank you. Um, Leanne says, what type of exercise is most impactful in reducing breast cancer risk? And what is the youngest age at which exercise is found to play a role in lowering risk? What a great question, because here's the answer. The best exercise you can possibly do to decrease breast cancer risk is whatever exercise you will wake up and want to do. So truly all exercise has a benefit. There was a study of 17,000 postmenopausal women and looked at their exercise levels and those merely briskly walking for 11 minutes a day, 11 minutes a day, drop breast cancer by 18% above as compared to sedent. You put some pep in your step, a little bit of like chit chatting while you power walk three to four hours a week and you're dropping breast cancer between 30 and up to 40%. More than that, five plus hours, 57% drop and the more the better. Now, in terms of the age to begin and at which time you're going to reduce risk, um, I'm not aware of a study that like really looks at that in terms of like pre-puberty and adolescence and exercise and future risk. I do have studies on nut consumption and Christopher's vegetable consumption at those young ages, decreasing postmenopausal breast cancer and contrary wise, animal meat consumption and red meat increasing breast cancer risk, but I don't have it for exercise. I'm gonna look into that, but I can only imagine that the younger you start, the better. Great, thank you. And Danielle says, how does stress and worry and sleep affect breast cancer risk independent of each other's, or the factors independent of each other's? Stress and worry affect immune system function. So much so that there's one study called LACE, Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study, looked at 2,200 early stage breast cancer patients and followed them for 10 years. And what they found that those who reported out low levels of psychosocial report, uh, psychosocial support and low levels of religious or um, community activity participation were 57% more likely to have died in that decade of follow-up, early stage leading to death within 10 years, solely isolated to that feeling of isolation and the lack of connection. So what stress does on a physiologic level is it alters your biochemistry and it sets the stage of inflammation by increasing a bunch of the letter factory, as I like to call it, interleukin-1, C-reactive protein, um, tumor necrosis factor, decreases natural killer cells, which as they sound are killing out bad cells. So you're creating an inflammatory cascade inside your body, which impairs your immune system. Now your immune system is like, oh, I got all this inflammation to deal with all day long. Oh, there goes the cancer cell. Can't get you. Busy over here, right? So stress does that. 
Um, and that's exacerbated by all things that bring on stress, right? The kind of subtle subterfuge in friendships that aren't healthy for you, a struggling marriage, a job that you don't really enjoy, the, is traffic, all of these things add to our stress. Um, and then there's obvious stressors like a divorce or the death of a loved one or someone super sick that you care for. You need to practice self-care. Meditation is one of the most effective ways to radically effectively reduce stress. Gentle stretching, Tai Chi, these types of yoga, allowing you to breathe in, breathe out. It sounds hokey if you've never practiced it, but for those who have done it, even in small amounts, five, 10 minutes here and there, know that it alters your day. It makes you fully present. It makes you more capable. Um, sleep. Melatonin is the critical thing here. So melatonin uh, is secreted by your pineal gland in your brain. And it's like, hey lady, time to knock you out. It comes out and makes you fall asleep. And then boop, when it goes down, you wake up. This is totally messed up in night shift workers, in um, airline pilots and workers that have their sleep-wake cycle completely missed like swapped around. So they work all night or they're in artificial light um, at night and then they go home and they don't have adequate darkening in their rooms. Their melatonin is messed up and they are, have been shown, people in night work have been shown to have much higher rates of breast cancer. Um, your body needs to sleep to get into cell rejuvenation and repair. Finally, you you stopped eating, lady. <laughs> I don't have to digest that meal. You stopped thinking all these stressful thoughts. I don't have to deal with all the inflammation that you're causing. Um, or you just did a great workout, good for you. But now your muscles are like all inflamed and sore, and I gotta fix and repair that. Sleep is your body's chance to be like every every function is quieted down. I mean, for the most part, you don't poop and poop. Wake up <laughs> to do that. Like everything, your digestive system, it's all quiet. Finally, your immune system can be like, hmm, what's that breast cell doing so busy over there? Let me go over there and see what kind of destruction I can cause to this cancer cell that's trying to become a bigger threat, right? That's why sleep is so critical. And interestingly, I'd have to look it up real quick, but it, I'm going to say 57% is the number. I'm 99% sure. This is fascinating. Blind women, okay? It's always dark. They have 57% less breast cancer because they have higher circulating melatonin for a lifetime. Get your sleep. Wow. You, you are just so not only just knowledgeable about this subject, but just so passionate. And just, I just love listening to you. Uh, thanks. Yeah, you are amazing. Well, thank you so much for this incredible presentation. It's just, I feel like it was everything. You know, it's funny when, when people are booked on the show, they've never watched the show. They go, what should I do? And I go, well, you can do a PowerPoint. You could do a cooking demo. You can do a Q&A. You literally are a triple threat. You've done all three. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's always so fun. You just have the best viewers ever. And, and I, I wish you all the best of health. And um, come visit me. Come to the summit. Come to the website. I can't wait to meet you. I love that, the breast of health. Thank you so much, Dr. Funk. I really appreciate it. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when we have a bonus show at 2 p.m. where another beautiful medical doctor named Dr. Nikki Davis, who's also going to be doing a demonstration. She's going to be making a doll. And at 11 o'clock, we have Gwyn Whitaker from Green Fair Restaurant. Thank you so much, Dr. Funk. I really appreciate it. Thank you 